the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski, and we appreciate you joining us on this year-end program. If ever you'd like to get your question here, you can email it to ask at wbaa.org or tweet your question at WBAA News on Twitter. You sound like a busy guy as we get close to the end of the academic year. You're trying to put in a bunch of stuff in the last week or so, it sounds like. Uh, maybe, but who, who you know that's not busy these days? I suppose that's true, but, uh, you know, we've done this for a couple of years now, and it seems like, you know, graduation comes up and trying to get to the end of the actual year comes up and close out some other things so we can take a long vacation, which, by the way, is very nice as a Purdue employee, so thanks for that. Um, but it seems like there's always stuff piled up here at the y- end. Y- you know what eight many hours of my time recently was grading my final exam and the course that I teach and assigning final grades, which is uh, something I, I, I do myself uh, because that was the point, to sort of learn a little more about uh, how our faculty uh, live their lives. And how did yeah. your students do? Uh, well, I think that uh, in general, pretty well. Uh, but there was a spread, of course. There were, about, there were 28 students uh, completed this class and uh, I hope I was uh, fair and balanced in the way I assessed them. And this is the same course you've been teaching on World War One, is that it right? Is. And and how has your? I'm curious how your attitude toward grading students has changed over the several times you've done it now. I've looked at myself from time to time and said, "Are you part of this great inflation problem that you worry about?" There've been a couple of semesters, at least, where I thought maybe I was going a little too easy on the students. Uh, but um, uh, the, I, I think maybe uh, I'm, I'm pretty much in sync with where the Purdue faculty at large is, just eyeballing the uh, the uh, distribution of grades. Let's move to something that happened just after you and I taped our last program, which was Jeff Brom announcing he was going to stay as the football coach. I'm curious what your role was in getting that to happen. How were you involved, consulted, et cetera? Very active consultation between me and our athletic director, uh, checking uh, on on the big call uh, calls with uh, with our board because it involved obviously more uh, money. But um, it was a real time exercise, and um, we I think we're really respectful of the fact that Coach Brom had a very tough decision. I wouldn't have wanted to make it uh, uh, between I think two places two places that he. And situations that he likes, but one had home and family and lifelong friends involved, and uh, so we t- tried, I think, to be in regular touch with him, but not uh, pressure him unduly. But I spoke to him and communicated with him uh, the night before, and added my two cents to what he already knew, which is that uh, Purdue uh, is so pleased and grateful that he's our coach and excited about him staying, which now. Very happily, he's going to be doing. Speaking of personnel matters, on to another thing that I've been meaning to mention to you for a couple of months now. We just haven't had time to get to it. You've got a new vice president of public affairs, Dan Hasler, who uh, previously worked uh, as the head of the Purdue Research Foundation. So he is charged in part with kind of evangelizing the Purdue brand in a number of different places. Uh, What do you need out of that role now that maybe you feel like hasn't been done as well as it could have been in the past? I think we have, we believe we have um, a more defined identity, maybe a, or a differently defined identity now. For instance, that we uh, are 
um, more mindful maybe than some schools about affordability, uh, all the business around student costs and getting student debt down, that we have uh, uh, two or three things like that that um, are are a little bit differentiated and that we want to make certain people know about. The other thing that's very different is that there's been a complete change in the channels of communication. I'm talking about social media and all its forms. And um, we want to make certain that since that's how more and more people are getting more and more of their information, especially younger people, that we're as good as we ought to be at reaching them uh, through these these relatively young uh, media. Let me ask you about that real fast. Are you talking about the way that the university and its personnel communicate on social media, or are you talking also about the way that you manage the way other people are talking about the brand on social hmm. media? Hmm. Oh, uh, I, the former, uh, although really the answer is both of those things. Uh, so Dan Hasler spent a highly successful career as a marketer. He thinks in terms of channels, best ways to reach people, me, uh, messages and how to match them with appropriate channels. And so um, uh, he's uh, already uh, done a spectacular job here of uh, building what we call the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And we've talked about that on this show. And He's a big reason that Purdue is now at, at uh, top three in the U.S. in patents, uh, number one or two in, new, in startup businesses, all of that. And um, uh, he uh, felt he could hand that off. And uh, when uh, I already had him working on the 150th anniversary, organizing that, which is a, in large part a communications exercise. And so uh, – uh, we uh, were able to persuade him to broaden that and uh, try to reshape our our communications uh, program. And uh, he's, uh, no surprise to me, he's off to a great start. One of the things I understand that that role at the university is no longer doing is communicating as directly with the school's lobbyists, who I've, I understand are now <laughs> communicating more directly with you. Is that correct? Yeah. We're just talking about a couple people at the state and, and, and one part-time person in Washington. No, I said I would take that. That's, that's, uh, I told you what Dan's long suits are, and, uh, but this has not been part of his past experience. And so uh, I said, let me just um, uh, put that on my, on my plate uh, so you could concentrate full-time on, on those things that we're uh, most uh, urgently interested in him doing. And obviously we're coming up to a budget session of the Indiana legislature how does that dynamic shifting to the lobbyists talking directly with you affect the way that the university is going to position itself before lawmakers in the coming months? I don't think it changes much of anything. I was always involved in conversations about what our priorities would be. And uh, we have a very structured process, of course, and we've already reported to them, 1 to 10, what our capital um, requests or hopes uh, involved. So with regard to other issues, uh, I, I was always uh, paying close attention to that. It's just a question of, of uh, transmitting it directly as opposed to through one other person. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Email your questions to ask at WBAA.org. Tweet them also at WBAA News on Twitter. While we're talking about the state budget that's upcoming, I wanted to ask something of you that's maybe sort of tangential to your job. 
I got to thinking about recent reporting from our State House correspondent, Brandon Smith, that a 50% or so increase in the budget for the Department of Child Services seems like it's a done deal for the coming budget. You have said that here on this program and in many other places that you're trying to get more first generation, more low income students to become boilermakers. And I wondered, is there any correlation between those students who you want to bring here and maybe the students that are going to hopefully get a little bit more attention and a little bit more care if DCS gets that extra money? Is is there any correlate there? An effective child protection um, uh, competency at, at the state level is, is a must, first for humanitarian purposes. But your question's an interesting one because uh, if and as uh, the state finds better ways uh, to protect and nurture and get these children into supportive environments, maybe more of them will be college-ready when the time comes, and that would be a really great thing. I think the most direct effect that we'll have to watch is just the financial squeeze. And um, that's already happened in a lot of other states. Usually it's Medicaid and pensions that are devouring dollars, making it harder for them to add money to K-12 or add money to higher ed. And as I, as we've pointed out before, uh, Indiana is right at the top in maintaining its higher ed spending over the last decade or 12 years. There are states where um, uh, literally you, you rub your eyes, the, the higher ed spending has been slashed by 20, 30, 40 plus percent, places like Arizona, Wisconsin, and elsewhere. And um, here it's gone up, and, but there aren't many places like that. Now, it sounds like you're a little worried about a possible squeeze going forward. Right. This DC, uh, the Department of Child Services, which uh, I have to insert here, we created when I was in my last job. Uh, it was a disaster. By all accounts, one of the worst systems in the country. By 2011, it won from the Annie Casey Foundation, which is seen as the um, authority on such matters, a uh, best in the nation citation. Uh, there were some really important reforms made, which we could tell were uh, doing a better job protecting uh, young people, getting them into the right home. Um, and um, uh, unfortunately, some of those were undone and reversed. And those reforms, by the way, saved a lot of money. Um, and so uh, it's too bad that uh, we've uh, fallen backwards in an area where we were national leaders. But um, I think they're on their way back to to uh, repairing that uh, but the uh, under this administration. But it's going to apparently cost money to get back where we need to. Uh, the, the demand has gone up, too. We all know about opioids and all the rest. So uh, it, it's not as though this was all because of some misjudgments in between. But it will be a shame if it takes – Tons of money now to get DCS um, back uh, in good shape that could otherwise have gone to K-12 or higher ed or other important uh, uh, priorities. As you're looking at your budget priorities and what you're going to submit to the Ways and Means Committee and others, do you look at the tangential issues like this? Do you look at the broader playing field of where you think money is going to get spent and does that affect what you then ask for? I can't help but pay attention to the broader 
um, array, and and I and and I because uh, this was you know, part of uh, my assignment for eight years. Um, and but I think we can say that Purdue has acted, tried to act in the public interest, and been a good citizen. And I'll give you the best, I guess, example. Each time when we have gone to the General Assembly, um, we have said, "Well." It, uh, we're here to make the best case we can, and we think we've got the best case in the state for how for the value Purdue delivers in an in an information world and in a, a world that needs more engineers and so forth. We think we're the most valuable educational asset the state could ask for. But we've never whined or complained or demanded more than than they decided was an appropriate amount, and we've lived within it, and we'll continue to do that. But um, Again, uh, when when I go to the state house, as I did uh, now just two three weeks ago for the annual or semi annual um, biannual uh, presentation, I do feel like uh, uh, I am I have I'm very fortunate to be carrying such a strong uh, case. About a year and a half ago, to, to switch gears here, you and I were talking about the shutdown of the Camp Dash uh, summer camp, which was about how uh, diet and specifically the sodium in a diet affected kids. Um, the study had to be shut down after there were numerous allegations of violence and sexual assault that were brought to light. Um, the school is being sued actually now on behalf of a girl who was participating in that. Uh, was allegedly filmed nude in a shower area by another girl who was dismissed from the study. How is the school responding to that lawsuit? As we would to any, um, just uh, and I, you'll not be surprised when I say I can't really comment on the legislation. I'll, I'll just uh, observe, remind the audience that uh, the the minute, the day, literally, that anyone found out that there were some issues at Camp Dash, we moved quickly. We shut the program down as soon as we saw what we thought was. Uh, um, enough evidence of of a problem to justify that and undertook a very extensive, very open report and released it to you and the other uh, news media folks. Uh, So I I think um, uh, we we believe we've reacted and responded as as an institution like ours should. Um, You know, what the court will decide uh, uh, will ultimately abide by. But in terms of the way uh, we... uh, We've dealt with it. Uh, we're not sure what else we could have done. You certainly have acknowledged as a university in a couple of different ways that there were issues uh, and, and have been fairly open about that. Does that in some way help or hurt your case in a suit like this, do you think? Uh, you have a law degree. I do not. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I have a law degree, but don't mistake me for a courtroom lawyer. No, I, I don't. If I knew, I probably wouldn't uh, venture to uh, speculate, and I don't really know uh, what I all I can say is what we have said before. We regret this incident, tr- incident tremendously. Um, uh, we'll redouble our efforts. It was already uh, th- things happened that were already clearly uh, um, outside the um, uh, policies that we have in violation of training that we provide. We're just going to have to redouble our efforts. Nothing like it had ever happened before in many many years of summer. Um, programs on this campus, and we'll do what we can to make sure it never happens again. 
you wrote in one of your Washington Post editorials recently about the the value of grit over GPAs as the headline went. And what this is for people who haven't been a part of this conversation is this is talking about a number of higher educational institutions that have said, we're not so sure that we need to have an ACT or an SAT score from students to gain admittance. And this includes a number of Ivy League universities. Um, You said, uh, first and foremost, that you thought Purdue was not going to join that trend. Let me give you a second to uh, explain why. Because we have lots and lots of data that tells us what sort of background predicts success on our campus, and uh, and and there is no uh, combination of factors that omits standardized testing, which uh, is as predictive as those we included. Now, I went on to say that uh, we wouldn't rely solely on the SAT or the ACT. Uh, they're indispensable, but they're only part of, of an equation. In GPA, it turns out, uh, and our data tell us from many, many years' experience, that GPA can be a very uh, important indicator, maybe uh, of, of the discipline, the self-discipline uh, and uh, persistence that it takes to do the homework and study hard enough to succeed. And um, so um, uh, we're going to continue to use both. And we're also uh, uh, searching, as it turns out, schools everywhere are, for ways both to uh, detect what is uh, colloquially now called grit, determination, these basic human factors that have always been important to success. Stick-to-itiveness. You bet. And, and that are really important, in a, in at least in a rigorous college curriculum. So how, how can we uh, get even better at identifying students who have that quality, which may mean they have a better chance to make it uh, through um, and, and succeed at Purdue than somebody who was 10 or 20 points higher on the, on the aptitude test? And uh, so that's what that was about. And um, it's a very current topic in, uh, in higher ed. And um, we want to we make sure we're doing as well as uh, anybody can in the area. I don't know if you saw the editorial that came from the Exponent, the student newspaper here at Purdue's editorial board, um, and, and I wanted to give you a second to respond to the idea. They said that they were a little confused by your idea that you wanted to look at GPAs at the same time, but you've talked a lot about grade inflation, about how you think it's a problem, and they were like, "Don't aren't those two ideas somewhat incompatible with one another? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, they were confused. I don't know if it was my... Um, my uh Inarticulateness in the uh, in the column, or maybe they just haven't uh, thought about it as much. Listen, I was really glad. I've talked to a couple of the editors since, and I'll visit with them. I always go uh, sit with them uh, um, about once a semester, just an open ended conversation. And uh, I'm really uh, eager to engage with them and the whole campus community on this subject. You know, the one they really centered on was this idea of the fragility of students. And the higher and higher percentages who um, are seeking uh, uh, therapy or counseling or uh, adult uh, uh, support, um, almost on arrival at college. And um, this is a a difficult topic, but one we've really got to get at because uh, we we want students to leave here prepared to be leaders, 
and uh, and that will involve not only mastery of of subject matter and uh, we hope a uh, facility for lifelong learning and continuing learning, but also exactly what you were talking about, a sense of persistence, a sense of resilience, the other term that is most often used these days. And uh, it's really important to succeeding in college, or at least at a school like ours, but uh, maybe more so in life afterward. And and leaders are going to encounter adversity. Um, and... Uh, they're they're going to create some of it by by moving to improve things or change things, and so um, we need to see if there are things we can do uh, while students are here to help them be uh, more confident, and more uh, um, uh, resilient to, to deal with that uh, with those uh, buffets of life as they as they come. You point out in your column that this school and quite a number of others have added to their counseling and mental health resources over the last several years. Is it possible, I, 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 whenever I'm reporting on a crime trend, for instance, the question always becomes, did we just not know that this was a thing and now we're reporting it more? Is this possibly the case with the need for mental support services, emotional support services for people who are making a big life change going off to college? I mean, it's a big change for a lot of people. Uh, is it possible that we just, as a, a nationwide educational system, had underinvested in something that kids were going to need? Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, I spent several years of my life in business, happened to be the time in which uh, our company brought the first uh, 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 really safe antidepressant, Prozac, to the market. And what was revolutionary about that was it was so uh, uh, safe and its symptoms were so uh, modest that that, uh, general practitioners could confidently use it, learn about it, and use it, Uh, not just the psychiatric profession. And uh, this was revolutionary because mental illness had been stigmatized, People had not understood that uh, the extent to which in many, if not most cases, there are chemical imbalances and genuine medical problems underneath it. And so uh, that was a big era of what was called destigmatization. And we were right in the middle of it, and it's, a really, it's been a great, great thing. So, yes, there was, um, as there are for many other uh, illnesses, there, were, there was underdiagnosis. It probably still is. That still, though, the evidence says there's something. There are other things going on. Um, uh, the uh, president of my alma mater just sent out uh, his uh, letter in the um, alumni magazine, worrying about this very same issue, talking about the uh, effect of social media. That more young people today arrive without a lot of personal, as many personal interactions and so forth. There's a big book that's been written, that uh, bestseller right now, uh, that gathers evidence that shows that uh, fewer stu- fewer young people are involved in the kind of you know uh, play and, uh, and and unstructured activities that uh, teach them to work out problems on their own so there're probably multiple things going on including that uh, there was more there than we than we recognized but whatever is causing it, uh, it it is a real phenomenon we have and we will add resources to try to meet the uh, demand. But uh, part of this has got to be to see what can we do to build an environment 
uh, that and, and, and maybe even to teach in ways that uh, uh, help students grow in in uh, the resilience and uh, personal resilience just as we want them to grow uh, intellectually and in terms of character. We've had a lot of talk in education in recent years about things like safe spaces and triggers and things like that. It strikes me that the college environment is one that could, perhaps more effectively than most, build a space where people are known to be safe. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? You can fail a class. You can get over failing a class. But can that class be designed in such a way to say, we're going to put you up against something that's really hard, and we're going to tell you up front that it's going to be really hard, but we're going to help you learn from it. We're going to help you work through it. Is that the kind of thinking that you're – a way that Purdue is trying to design classes? Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, you bring up the safe space thing, which I believe some of the air has gone out of all that. It's been um, uh, criticized and in some cases laughed at enough that you're hearing a whole lot less about it these days. But um, it, it's simply, um, uh, to me, unacceptable to think that, at least here at our university, um, students would be so uh, intimidated by mere words, not physical threats, not anything about you talk about you know the first obligation of safety, which we take very seriously, is physical safety. Every time somebody take you know, crimes, crime statistics, FBI, and so forth, I'm, ha- we're, I'm happy to say Purdue is always one of the safest campuses, and West Lafayette one of the safer communities co- or can- uh, college communities in the country. We need to keep it that way. Um, but when you, but this idea that people should be afraid of of, of words that challenge uh, their uh, predispositions or their their personal uh, opinions, um, there's a whole lot wrong with that. One is folks who if, if folks who leave here that way are less likely to be effective leaders that, like we want them to be. And um, secondly, um, it, it's uh, it hits it strikes at the heart of the uh, entire uh, raison d'etre of universities, which is the advancement of knowledge. Because knowledge cannot advance where everybody thinks exactly the same thing. I'm thinking mostly of a a 400-level engineering course. It's no secret engineering is difficult to begin with and, and tougher perhaps than most on this campus. If you go into that and you say – I've talked to students, for instance, who are in – aerospace engineering classes, trying to figure out how to get people to Mars. I can't imagine the complexities of trying to get people to Mars. That seems like an awful tough problem, but one that we may want to solve. I mean, is there a way to take a problem like that and say, look, we're going to give you this thing that may seem impossible as you walk through the door on day one, but if you come out the other side, imagine how much you'll have grown, but you really have to work to to make it there. I'd like to think you just gave a very good articulation of of a of a common uh, pedagogical approach and and uh, ethic here at Purdue, I I think that's the, exactly the kind of school we are. I know a lot of our faculty, and not just limited to engineering, uh, uh, do try to present that to their students. That being um, uh, assignments that stretch them and challenge them may seem un, uh, impossible, but that um, uh, as you say, when it, when a student finds they actually can meet such a test, solve such a problem, complete such a project. Um, what, a, what a sense of accomplishment and how much more likely they are to face the next challenge with real uh, confidence and, 
and uh, vigor. Real quick, in 30 seconds, give me your favorite remembrance from being at former President Bush's funeral recently. The music was spectacular. Um, the remembrances were, were, I thought, remarkable. Um, I thought that uh, uh, President Bush, 43, was, when he talked about his uh, father being most of all the best father a man could have, uh, probably uh, uh, set a tone that was hard to match. All right. Well, thanks as always for your time, not just this month, but this entire calendar year. Happy holidays to you and yours, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again in the new year. Best of holidays to you and the entire uh, great uh, audience you serve. This has been Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Find all of these shows archived at WBAA.org. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Thanks for joining us, and happy holidays and a happy new year from all of us here at IPBS. Support for the monthly conversation with Mitch Daniels comes from Purdue University Press, publishing global scholarship and popular regional work since 1960. Today in print, ebook, and open access formats. More information at thepress.purdue.edu.